And I, I catch movement off to my left and all I see are these flyers coming off the back tine. And I'm like, uh, I knew it wasn't the buck I was hunting, but it's a no brainer. I mean, no question, you're killing this deer. Hey guys, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. I got Evan Williams here with me today. And our guest today is Matt Palmquist. Uh, you guys might remember we posted a podcast back on November 12th um, where Evan, Matt, and I talked about our strategies going into whitetail season. And all three of us were going to be using some bow-mounted decoys um, and hunting from the ground for whitetails. And we should have probably followed that podcast up sooner than this. Our apologies. We all got busy and uh, really couldn't pin Matt down for a little while because he was busy moving. Um, But the the season went pretty well um for all three of us but for for matt in particular it went spectacular and we just wanted to follow that podcast up and talk about how things went for us so uh how are you doing today matt how's the doing new, well. how's the new well. homestead it's doing great except it's rainy and cold today but uh allowed us to do this so can't complain right yeah yeah I think you deserve that weather since you're in Kansas and the rest of us are stuck in the office or working today and can't go hunt turkeys. (laughs) Well, that's true. But I'm already tagged out there, so I can't even do that if it was nice. So See, even worse. Did you kill karma? I only saw a picture of one. You got more than one tag there, don't you? Yeah, but where I moved to, the numbers are down, and so we can only shoot one over here. But you're correct. I could go – I could travel west and and kill a second, which I hope to do before the season's out, but – Right. But I wouldn't have done that today. So, Well, Matt's originally from Western Kansas, has been in Western Kansas for a long time and just recently moved. You're, are, I guess you're officially in Eastern Kansas now, aren't you? Or is it kind of central? That's hard for me to say that I'm in Eastern Kansas. We're going to go with uh, East Central because it, it <laughs> makes me feel a lot better about, about myself. But, uh, but yeah, we moved to a small town just south of Manhattan. Yeah, Isn't that a Kansas City back. Chiefs flag I see back there? Is that, is that what I'm seeing? Uh, no, probably not. But, <laughs> but, uh, unless my daughter's hung one up. She seems to be sports crazy lately. <laughs> awesome. I think well, it's because the boys are, unfortunately. Scares yeah. me. Well, I just we, – we spent the last 15 minutes, me and Matt, on here prior to jumping on the podcast. My, my son, Lane – is headed out uh, to Kansas on his first do-it-yourself uh, out-of-state turkey hunt, um, and where he's he's been on do-it-yourself turkey hunts with me out of state before, but he's never gone off and done it on his own. So he has been hounding Matt for <laughs> what two months or something like that. And oh, I wouldn't go as far as saying hounding, but uh, we did we did talk a time or two. Yeah, well. As he was getting ready today, I said, well, I'm jumping on the phone with Matt here in just a second. So he hung out to be able to talk to you just a little bit more. And then, you know, I said, you know, I've got another buddy over there in western Kansas that you might give a call to and and see what uh, he might have to say. And he said, who's that? And I said, Travis Glassman. 
And he says, oh, I've already contacted Travis. <laughs> and I was like, I was like how, did, how did you even know to do that? And why didn't you tell me that you were going to call my buddy out there? And he was like, oh, I, I contacted everyone I can think of. So anyway, thanks for helping him out with things. Um, oh, no problem. You taught him, you taught him well, Dad. So. Yeah, no kidding. And Travis is already tagged out too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, the photo that uh, you guys just posted, Evan, on on Hoyt, the Hoyt tagged out Instagram page of Travis just mm -hmm. a, a few days ago. I was looking, scrolling down through that page the other day and saw that photo and I was like, holy smokes, that is the that's the best turkey photo on that page. Travis is getting pretty darn good with that lens. Anyway. Well, um, yeah, he went out and picked up a new camera and everything this year. Yeah, man, that was that was really, really nicely done. Um, we're getting way off track. That's what happens when we're talking about whitetails in April, isn't it, boys? Um, yep, a little bit. So like we talked about, you know, we did a full podcast in November about our strategies using, you know, hunting these uh, uh, deer from the ground, you know, whitetail hunting from the ground. Uh, we were all going to be using bow-mounted decoys this year. Um, and so I went to Iowa and ha had another hunt in Kansas and both Matt and Evan were hunting in Kansas. And I guess I'll start out with my, my first story about what happened to me in Iowa, which is a, <laughs> kind of a heartbreaker. Um, the first day that I showed up out there, I was hunting with a, uh, a buddy, um, named Cordell Turner. And he owns an outfitting business called uh, Circle Cross Outfitters. And um, it, it's kind of cool having a neat deal with Cordell. Cordell will kind of just give me ground and say, you know, go to it on this farm. And so it's unguided. Um, and I had my cameraman. We were shooting an episode of Bowhunter TV. You'll, you'll be able to see this hunt later this year. Um, Bill and I, the first night that we got there, uh, we didn't have time to go over to the piece of ground that Cordell had kind of staked out for us. So Bill and I said, well, let's just, Cordell lives on a 40 acre piece right there at his house. And he's like, yeah, I, I never hunt right here behind the house, but you know, you can go give it a try. And since we were running late, we said, well, let's just cruise back there and see. Well, we went and sat down and literally 30 minutes after we we sat down watching this food plot, this monster of a buck. I don't know what he would score. Um, both of you boys saw him. He would – A lot. He'd score he, yeah. a lot. That's he really would, all you need to say. He would by far and away be the biggest whitetail that I have ever – that I've ever shot. Um, Dude, he scores more on one side than any deer I've shot, so. Oh. <laughs> And I wouldn't go that far, Evan. But, uh, <laughs> Whitetail, Whitetail-wise. Let's go there. And, and the crazy thing was, Cordell, he, he didn't even know he was there. He had, he, you know, he's, he's got one camera on that food plot back there, but that's really all he had. And he had no idea that that deer even existed. And, I mean, we came back in and all of us are, you know, we got video of him. Um, we had some does that had actually worked in closer to me and my cameraman bill where we were set up and the does got around behind us and busted us before we had really a good opportunity at taking at, at, at the buck at all um 
but we got him on video and like literally after that happened bill and i said okay it's this buck or bust you know the rest of the time that we're here we are we are going after this deer long story short we uh we had three different encounters with him and on the third encounter bill and i were using the bow mounted decoys we we tucked up kind of back against a cedar tree and we had a, a, a big open field in front of a CRP in front of us. Um, both of us, I had a, I had a stalker decoy mounted on my bow. Um, he had a stalker decoy mounted on his camera and because of the, usually when we run a 3d decoy with our bow mounted decoys, uh, we'll usually put that 3D buck decoy out in front of us, but very close to make it look to any deer like that's coming by that that buck has those two does pinned down. Well, because of the because of the shape of the field, we put that 3D buck decoy out in front of us a little further. He was probably 30 yards in front of us, and it was so that deer all the way at the end of the field could see that deer, could see our buck decoy out there. Um, and this buck ends up coming out probably 15 minutes before dark. Um, he's crossing over top of this hill in the CRP. He sees that 3D buck decoy out there. He looks over to, his, to, to the left of it to where me and Bill are sitting behind our stalker does, sees both those does sitting there, you know, next to those cedars. And he pinned his ears back and... It, just came on a string came on a string and the entire time i am thinking as he closed from 100 to 50 40 30 20 i am i'm like you are dead you are absolutely dead so as he's coming in he's walking between me and our 3d buck decoy out in front of us his in his ears are pinned straight back. He is puffed up like a gorilla. 100% of his focus is on that 3D buck decoy. I can do jumping jacks at this point. And this is the biggest deer of my life. I draw the bow back and this is a mistake that I made. I'm using a new release this year. Um, it's a, uh, I'm not even gonna talk about which one it is but I wasn't used to it. I've been using the same release for the last 10 years and I was not fully familiar with this release and how it felt in my hand and how it felt on my, on my face. It was cold that day. We were bundled up. And when I drew my bow back and came to anchor, um, the anchor just didn't feel quite right because all the, bulky clothes that I had on and the gloves that I had on. And literally this buck is in front of me, oblivious, 20 yards, broadside, looking the other direction. And before I put my pins on him, I just thought to myself, I need to sink my anchor into my face just a little bit better. And I went to adjust that anchor just a little bit and somehow, that glove that I had on, I touched that trigger on that release and the pins weren't even on the deer. And 
that arrow hit four feet behind the deer at uh, in the ground. And to say that I was devastated <laughs> as I watched that monster run off from me because he was skinned. He was in the back of the truck. He was skinned. He was processed and on the way to the taxidermist in my mind. And he absolutely should have been. And I had a meltdown of epic proportions after that deer was running off. I've, I've had some painful things happen to me while bow hunting before. Um, but never, you know, never one that I felt so sure was going to happen with such an animal that I managed to somehow screw the situation up. And I'll, I'll just tell you right now, you know, you remember a long time ago, Evan, when Hoyt ran the marketing campaign uh, that was called Hoyt Tough. And we talked about mm -hmm. how tough the bows were. I tested it. <laughs> <laughs> I threw my bow. I threw my bow like 30 yards and walked over there and picked it up and threw it again over the fence that we were going to have to go across. My cameraman is screaming at me, Ferris, Ferris, what the heck are you doing? You know, you still got to hunt. And the, I mean, the testament to Hoyt is that I picked that bow up and the next morning went and shot it and it was, it was dead on. I didn't do a darn thing to the bow, throwing it. It was landing in some softer grass, uh, evidently. Uh, but um, one of my good buddies coined that, uh, what you did, Colin, we, we ground tuned the bow. Ground tuned it. I ground, I ground and, tuned uh, it. When he told me that one day after a 3D uh, tournament, I about died. But uh, yeah, I'm proud of you for telling that story. I can't believe you did because it is very heartbreaking. Uh, I'll let you keep going on. But dude, it makes I've my gut never, turn every time I hear it. I've never experienced that bad of a letdown. You know, bow hunting is game of highs and lows. Um, as it's part of why we love it. You know, those lows are what make the highs so high. Um, but I've never experienced a low quite that low and it hurts just talking about it right now. And every time that I see the video of that buck, it hurts a little bit more. I mean, he was a monster and, and you think that after, you know, I don't know how long I've been bow hunting now, like 35 years that you would get better and, and good enough to where you didn't let things like that happen anymore. And just when you think you're getting pretty good, bow hunting has a way of humbling you. <laughs> and it humbled me, boy. Holy crap, did that moment humble me. Um, I was able a few days later to take a really nice buck there. Uh, not that buck. We didn't have another experience with him. He got educated right there. He was like, screw this but i was able to take a really nice buck out of a tree stand on that hunt uh a few days later um and it, he was beautiful uh it was definitely not the caliber of buck that i was dealing with right there but i left that hunt and went to kansas and while i was down there in kansas you know i i had my camper stored over at matt's house right behind your house went to your house and picked it up and went down south of where you live to where I was doing some of my hunting down there. And a, a couple of days into my hunt, I get a text from Matt and Matt, I'll let you take over because 
Matt's story is not a sad one. <laughs> Matt's story, Matt's story was a uh, uh, a spectacular one, and um, I'll, I'll I'll let you go from there. Yeah, well, I uh, I kind of told myself this year I was gonna take a page out of Mr. Ferris's book because I'm getting kind of tired of him coming in my backyard with his camper, like he says, and then going out and killing some nice, I'd go beyond that pretty huge whitetails the last few years, um, with, with his tactic of the bow mounted decoy with a 3d decoy. And, and I've been hunting a big, oh, six by six mainframe, just a real heavy compact buck the last couple of years. And I've had some close calls and really I, I did this year as well. That's a whole nother story. Um, I, I should have shot him at 40 yards and didn't because I thought he was going to cross the Creek and I'd shoot him at 20. And, and, uh, that was my only real close encounter this year, but I, I was bound and determined, um, I was going to use a 3d decoy and the bow mounted decoy out in the open and, and kill this buck. And so I tried a time or two and didn't have a whole lot of success The the bucks were, they had does pushed up the other direction and, I think two weeks before, or it might have been the week before, um, I ended up having the, the hunt that we're going to talk about happen. Uh, it was right at first light, and I saw a real big bodied buck with a doe uh, on the neighboring property out in this open field. And I'm, I'm watching him. I'm like, man, that's got to be the buck I'm hunting, and just because I didn't have any other bucks that were this caliber. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I watch him and all of a sudden he, he starts posturing some, well, here comes another just huge bodied buck. I just could not, they were too far and it was too dark. I could not tell what their antler configuration was, but I, he was, he was pretty compact and he, I would say basket rackish just as a description, but, but big. I mean, I knew he was big. Right. And I watched those two bucks push up over the hill and, uh, and off out of my life that morning. And, and I was set up in some yuccas and I just couldn't get the right setup. So I'd moved around a time or two. And after they moved over the hill, half a mile to a mile away, I was like, well, you know, I might as well leave. Cause that's the buck I was hunting. And, and I looked down about 400 yards away and the buck I was hunting was down in the Creek. So I'm like, Holy smokes. Not only am I hunting a phenomenal deer, there's at least one and maybe two, the second big bodied buck, I couldn't really tell. He might've just been a, a big mature deer and antlers were suspect, you know, but mm-hmm. anyways, so I tried snort wheezing at him and he kind of went away. Uh, you know, he, he just didn't like, he was close enough. He heard me cause it was calm and he, he just looked the other way and kind of trotted off. And, and honestly, that's the last time I, I saw that, that deer, he, he vanished on me. Um, but he's at least six, I would say, and maybe older. Mm-hmm. Anywho, I, I didn't know he would have vanished. And so I finally got the conditions right a few weeks. Uh, I think I could said it. it. It was two weeks at the most. And Danny, you were out hunting, I think, still south of me when this all took place. And, and uh, you I, know what? I, Just to clarify for everyone, the podcast that we posted before um, that we're following up right now, it, it, it posted on November 12th. But we recorded that podcast at the end of October. So it didn't post for a week or two after we recorded it. So just to give everybody, you know, kind of a timeline, my hunt in Iowa happened uh, in the, in the first two weeks of November, probably right around November 12th, somewhere in there. 
and you're ta- the time frame that you're talking about is during the beginning of November too. And is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I would say um, the, the the initial encounter was in the first ten days in November for sure. Right. Um, maybe maybe a touch beyond that, but I think that would be accurate. Yeah. And and so you when that that first hunt took place, you weren't here at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really wanted the conditions to be right before I went back in there. And I, tr- I tried hunting the steer in the tree stand again, too, after that 40 yard encounter. That's where where I had him was from a tree stand. And, right. And uh, anyways, long story short, I, I went out to hunt and I was going to set up in that same spot. And I thought, you know what? This is foolish. I'm going to go for broke. And I got right in the, the heart of where I expected him to be moving pretty close to a bedding area and adjacent. I used to hunt this neighboring property and it's, it's near and dear to my heart and the landowner and I are still good friends, but he, he saves it for his, his family. And I'm not sitting right on the fence line. So don't, don't think that, but, but I, I can see the property. It's, it's real open country. And, and so I was, I was uh, just in a spot. I know deer like to travel and I got down tucked in some yuccas behind the the bow mounted decoy with the 3d decoy set up probably about mm, 12 to 15 yards i'd say closer to 12. and i really hadn't had any action and and quite frankly it was noisy getting in there and i thought you know maybe i was just too aggressive and and are we talking about the day that you actually took him now yep yep i'm on the hunt and i was successful that was a saturday that was that was a saturday when you took him and I remember um, on Thursday and Friday, you know, like I said, I'd gone and picked up my camper from Matt's house and headed down south. And me and Matt would be texting as I was out hunting. And Matt had to work like Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, something like that. And he was he would text me and he's just like, oh, I can't believe I'm stuck in the office. I can't believe it. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. You know, I was having some, uh, a few pretty cool encounters that I would tell him about. And, uh, and he was just, he was belly aching the whole half of that, you know, second half of that week about being stuck in the office and, and the whole just time, it on and rubbing it in. Yeah. A little bit. So Saturday was going to be like that for whatever reason, I don't think you could hunt on Sunday and Saturday was going to be like the only day that you had to hunt. And that's when you headed out and you told me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to roll with the, with, with the stalker decoy on and, and over the 3d buck. And I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I'd been hunting for four or five days and you're headed out for the first time or that week anyway. Well, yeah. So I, I had taken off a week earlier in the month and I hadn't had a couple buddies come out and, and, uh, and one of them killed a hell of a mule deer. So it, it was all worth it, but I was kind of out of time off work. And, and the, the story Danny had mentioned earlier that I recently moved and I was set to start my new job on Monday is what it was. That's I, right. I can I hunt on Sunday, but my in-laws were out, um, visiting and, and I, I mean, I would have hunted Sunday. There's no way I wasn't hunting Sunday. Let's be honest. But, but I had to go and leave for work Sunday afternoon or evening because I was. It's four hours away from where we were living at the time. And so I went out that morning and 
and set up. And like I said, the setup was I was in some yuccas and a little bit of tall grass, but I was pretty exposed, um, quite frankly. And I, like I said, I know where the deer are going to move and, and a smaller buck, decent two and a half year old came by and he, I, he did not like the setup. Yeah. This deer blew at me and blew at me some more. I mean, if, if it would have been a doe, I would have been shooting an arrow, you know, cause it was 40 yards away. And it acted like an old doe is what this buck acted like. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. You know? And honestly, I don't know if you guys believe this or not, but it, it might've contributed to this other buck coming my direction. So I'm sitting there and it's, it's getting later in the morning, like nine 30, probably 10 o'clock. So, I mean, there was still plenty of good time, but we're getting into the third week in November, I think maybe, maybe even beyond that. Um, and so they don't, move all day as as much in my experience and after that happened i was pretty discouraged and honestly i was seconds away from pulling the plug right and i i catch movement off to my left and all i see are these flyers coming off the back tine and i'm like uh i knew it wasn't the buck i was hunting but it's a no-brainer i mean no question you're killing this deer right and he beelines right for the buck decoy but he's he's cautious like he's not just coming in, posturing, not looking at me. He, he's watching me and, and the decoy. And you're, and you're I, just next to a, a yucca. You're kind of Yeah, up I mean, I, I'm pretty exposed. Um, I, I'd share a picture with you, but uh, hopefully yeah. that, that's going to run in an article here at some point, and you'll see it, at the, see it then. But, uh, you know, from the side, I'm exposed, and he's coming from my side. F- face on, you know, I'm really hidden, right? Right, I mean, right. And so – I'm just like, God, I don't know if this is going to work, but he just, you know, he keeps coming, keeps coming. And right when he goes beyond the decoy, I'm like, I got to draw now, but he's going to spook. And I draw and he just stops and stares at me. Like exactly like we talked about, like you said on your story from Iowa, oblivious to, to what was going on. And he just, he just stood there and I first time in ever took my time and composed and, and pin welding, you know, I just, I thought to myself, some of our conversations that he thinks I'm a deer, he's going nowhere. Yeah. And, uh, and I drilled him and I think I called or texted you right away. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. I mean, this is, I just, <laughs> Dude. Dagger and I didn't know how big he was, but I, I, I knew he was, you know, like over 150 all day and probably over 160. And I mean, that's a gagger in my book. So yeah. Yeah. I was pretty, pretty jacked at the time and I didn't see him fall. So I was, you know, how doubt creeps in, but I was pretty confident, but, um, I don't know if I even told you this, but I got pretty lucky. Cause when I drew, if he would have stopped a second sooner, I couldn't have shot him. Right. Cause he was, he was right behind the decoy. So that's something that, that we never really talked about, but you know, kind of be thinking about what they're going to do when you draw but thankfully the front half of his body was out like i said it it was a 10 ring and he he just once he went out of sight down this uh the creek bank he he tipped over so yeah yeah it was pretty amazing i i now i can put a feather in my cap that i danny ferris to buck so (laughs) well and it wasn't just any buck i mean this is matt's killed some slammer whitetails during his career um and, you know, when he first called me and told me what happened, um, I was like, he said, man, it's, it, it's really good buck. Uh, he was telling, he called me prior to recovering the deer and, 
you know, I said, well, how'd you feel about the shot? And he says, man, I was able, I took my time. He was standing there staring at me broadside. I put it right against the back of the leg, was able to really settle in, really settle the pin. I feel, I feel like it was perfect. And he was excited. And Matt doesn't get that excited after he didn't, he's not like me. I make an idiot of myself. Matt is very calm, cool, and collected. That, and, that is not true, but when I'm by yeah. myself and if I didn't see the animal fall, I'm that way. But if, if you're with me and I know it's, I drilled it. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm about like you would be tackling each other and doing stupid stuff. But, but in that situation, I, I usually am not that uh, giddy. <laughs> well, the, when, when he went and recovered this buck, he's, he sent me a picture. He, he texted me a picture of him just laying there on the ground and I was like, oh my goodness. And it turns out that's, that's your biggest buck that you've ever taken. Yeah. Yeah. My growth score, just, just a touch, but yeah, mid seventies and, and, uh, biggest, biggest white tail to date. So pretty, wow, pretty dude. jacked. Uh, this yeah. other buck that I was hunting, I, I really thought was bigger by trail camera pictures, but I've had so many encounters with him that he's so compact. I honestly think the buck I killed might be bigger but the craziest thing of this deal, I mean, I'm running cameras on this place like mad and, and I'm, I don't have corn piles out or any much for attracting. I'm just scrapes and I put some rubbing posts out, which is a, a story for another day, um, things like that. But uh, I never got a picture of this deer, not one. And I'm not even 100% sure that encounter that I brought up earlier was him. It just the way his frame is and everything really made me think it is him. But so, yeah, you just never know in the rut. I mean, I hear guys all the time like, oh, I don't even know why I'm hunting. I don't have any deer that I want to hunt on camera and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, get your butt out there and hunt because you just never know. And I mean, this this deer is a case in point because I'd never laid eyes on him until I killed him. Well, the well other and both of them, right? I mean, Danny, your Iowa buck, 40 yard or 40 acre plot right behind your buddy's house had no yeah. clue he was there. Yeah, it wasn't a 40-acre no. plot. It was a one-acre plot. Or sorry. It was a 40-acre property. 40-acre 40, 40 property. It was small. Was small yeah. 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 Yeah, I had no idea that he was there. Um, and from for you, Matt, the other thing that it's a case in point of, you had that young buck come in to the setup first, and he didn't like it. And, you know, I've said before, one of the things that I like about that setup is it seems to me like the older and more mature and more dominant that that buck is when he finds another buck standing over a doe anytime, you know, during the rut, they are the ones that are, they are more likely to react positively to it, to, to be so irritated about it, even though your buck was cautious, he still couldn't help himself. He still came in there to investigate what the heck was going on and got himself shot. If you had taken that first buck, you said was a two-year-old deer that came in the first time. Yeah. And he blew at you. He didn't like it. If you'd have given up right there and said, Oh man, this, this doesn't work. You know, it wouldn't have happened at all. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. But that's what most people, most people do. I mean, I, I've been guilty of it myself over the years. I mean, you have things you're confident in and, and things you're not. And if you don't see success right away, you, you have a tendency to give up. But yeah, I mean, th this, I mean, obviously, I think this is like the greatest tactic ever now, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'm sold sold at this point. But, 
you know, it just goes to show you, you can't judge. Nothing is ever going to work 100% of the time. Never. And if it did, we would all quit bow hunting because it'd get boring. Yeah. And, and so you, you got to, you know, don't give up because it didn't work the first time. And, and I mean, this hunt proved that more than, than anything. I mean, it's just pretty amazing and very thankful to, to take a buck like that the day before I start a new job, four hours from my, my stomping grounds for the last 16 years, basically. So yeah, uh, pretty fortunate. Well, it was, it was awesome when it happened and I was so happy for you and happy that you got to experience, you know, success doing it that way because it is so different and out of the box um, that you're just kind of mind blown when it happens, like, holy, you know, holy smokes, especially after having one blow at you earlier in the morning and having it not work at all. But um, man, that was a super, super impressive deer. And needless to say, after, you know, Matt went home and started getting out the tape and stuff like that and telling me about it, I was like, I cannot believe that here I've been out here sitting every day, morning and evening. He goes out for the first morning that he's able to get out since I've been here and smokes the biggest buck of his life. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, Evan, tell us a little bit about yours now. So Evan got to come out to Kansas uh, a little bit after this, I think, or was it during the same time? It was like third week of, of November, wasn't it? So I actually had to make two trips this year. Okay. Um, so that was humbling in itself. Um, I had told myself I was dedicating my season this year in Kansas to whitetail. It's the first time I've hunted whitetail in Kansas since uh, Matt 2014 is when you and I shot those two bucks within like five minutes of each other. Right. I think it was. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that was the last time I took a whitetail in Kansas. That, you said when it was freezing, when it was like zero degrees or something crazy. Yep. Was that that year? Yeah. That super, super windy. Yep. So, and so, just so that everyone listening understands this situation, you know, cause you're a non-resident right now, Evan, but Evan is from Kansas. Um, he grew up in Western Kansas. His family still lives in Western Kansas and somebody in his family was smart enough when he was young to buy him a lifetime, a, a, a lifetime hunting license. Correct. Evan. Yep. My, my 16th birthday present. And it has more than paid for itself. Oh my gosh. Like as a non-resident of Kansas, you know, I live in Colorado. I've been hunting Kansas for probably 10 years or more, you know, 12 years, something like that. Um, every year. And every year I put in for a mule deer stamp and I think I've drawn it twice. Um, Evan, because somebody had the foresight to buy him that lifetime hunting tag when he was a kid there in Kansas he can get a mule deer stamp every single year, um, yep. which is pretty dang awesome. He's killed some, there's a reason he hasn't concentrated on whitetails because he slams some pretty big muleys out there. But that well, I just wanted that. to make sure they understood the situation. Yeah. Yep. And we've got, you know, my situation, I, I think is a little different too. Uh, one is I do have that passion for mule deer and two, I've got, I've got two buddies from Colorado that come back and, and share mom and dad's house with us. And then my brother, and my sister-in-law, and now his youngest daughter is is very, very proficient and adamant about getting to hunt as well. And with them being Nebraska residents and not having, don't have a lifetime. So when everybody comes down to hunt, they all have whitetail only tags. And I've just, 
made the decision that I'm not going to encroach on the properties and, and add pressure to our whitetail properties. So I've been heading about an hour and a half from mom and dad's house and chasing mule there over in my old stomping ground. So, hmm. but, but this year was different. Um, wanted to test the, the Ferris principles and philosophies on <laughs> decoys and, and, and specifically bow mounted decoy with the 3d inclusion. Right. Um, Hey, Evan, was, sorry to cut you off, but I think we're going to have to start calling him the Godfather. Oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> when my I'm wife hears you. this, she's going to hate you guys. <laughs> oh, geez. And you know, no one is doing it like this. So I think that's very, very applicable. So no one, no one has used a bow mounted decoy with a 3d. Like it, it's a completely different tactic. And for where we're doing, dude, I don't, I don't see where I've had the success that I should have. Um, and the specific spot I was hunting, I've got a cottonwood tree line and it's one cottonwood in a row for 200 yards. That is the only coverage on a full square mile. The West half is pasture and everything for the next mile and a half north south and east is all ag mm-hmm. and off on the neighbors i've got one small um stand of hardwoods that's probably maybe eight to ten acres right there around the farmstead mm-hmm. and there's a freshwater spring right in the middle of those trees so i've got water food plenty of cover but i can't hunt that so i'm relegated to just hunting primarily the ag because we had cattle still out in the pasture this year um even into that first week of december and we went out there the first night it was a it was a scouting trip and sat under one of the big cottonwoods right on the fence line and right after five o'clock i looked up and the first deer that hit that field is low 170, wow. nine point. Yeah. And I was like, well, nine that, point? Nine. A giant. Yeah. 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 Like I saw him, my jaw dropped. I grabbed for my bow, knocked an arrow, and hit him with the range finder. I was like, well, nope, that ain't happening right now. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had walked out ahead of time and put the 3d decoy out and literally on the fence post in front of me, attached the Bowman decoy with the Velcro Mm -hmm. straps, Mm -hmm. paid no attention to it. And granted, this is, this is October 30th. So this is the earliest trip I've ever made out this time of year. And you strapped your bow mounted decoy to a post instead of a bow. (laughs) Yep. Yep, and then I was just kneeling down behind it. Yeah. And within the next five minutes, we had just over 30 deer in that field, somewhere between 30 and 35 deer in that field. Seven of them were bucks. Um, Three of them I would all deem as shooters. We had a, Mm -hmm. a heavy broken up eight that would have been a mainframe upper 140 ish mm-hmm. um and then another full eight that was in that that low to mid 140 range and then um you know the rest were were the the younger two and a half year olds 
and just doze for days. And there was zero activity, zero chasing going on. And this buck, we deemed him Prince, mm-hmm. is just cruising up. First deer to hit the field, and he is off by himself, just strolling north down one of the combine tracks. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my buddy, and I smiled. He was, don't do it. Don't do it. Not on the first day. And I unstrapped that decoy from the fence post, crawled underneath, and I went out in that cut cornfield after that buck. Because at this point, he's 150 yards out in front of everything else. Right. And being on the north side of that 3D decoy, all the other deer were on the south side of him. Mm-hmm. So I just acted like a doe and I strolled up behind him and I got to 68 yards, came to full draw. And as I hit full draw, he picked his head up and shimmied his butt around so that his butt was facing me instead of going broadside. Right. And then just kept walking straight away like a, like a turkey would from you. And yeah. just every once in a while I would look over his shoulder like, are you coming? <laughs> and so let down got surrounded by deer they kept moving all around me um was in the field till about 45 minutes after uh dark backed out came back in you were caught in the middle of a cut cornfield with deer all around you and and they didn't they never ended up spooking never spooked how many of them could see your side profile 34 out of the 35 or whatever that were out there really so from how far away um closest i had one come in that night was 27 yards holy smokes and you would just kind of move the decoy between you and the just kind of slide it around yep yeah move the decoy between you and the deer and i i've told people that before it seems like i've i've gotten nailed from that side profile several different times and matt when you were hunting you were specifically worried about that side profile um because you weren't that hidden from the side. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had one see me completely from the side. And when I moved that thing in between it, in between us, because they didn't see the upright human form, mm-hmm. it's almost like sometimes they will write it off as all oh, that must have been her butt or something yeah. like that. You know, yeah. not and saying and that even, you look like a deer's butt, Evan, but that is probably what it, they were thinking. But it's it, your body outline not being silhouetted. Yeah changes profiles just nothing there was there was times where i was only quartering that decoy towards them yeah where they could see the general outline and my connection of my body to that decoy is just the rest of the body yeah because my feet and everything are covered up down in the, in the corn stubble yeah so but we backed out that night came back the next morning and we actually came in from way up north and we were a thousand yards from the fence line of the neighbors that they've been coming in on Mm-hmm. And so we sat in the grass where I was sitting the same night that Matt and I took those bucks in 2014. And I went in with my spotting scope and sun comes up first light cracks. We have five muley does and a small forky come in from behind us downwind. They skirted around to the east side of us and were feeding in the corn. And when we looked up, I watched him stand out of a patch of weeds in the middle of that cut cornfield, 60 yards from mm-hmm. where I last seen him the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I focused solely on that buck for the next, I think it was nine days I was out there. 
Um, of those nine days, I saw him seven times. Wow. The closest I got on that trip was probably about another, I think 140 yards. Um, and on that, on that South property line, it's, it's in a little, um, depression so that all the ag is down in the bottom. It rolls uphill to the East. And on the top of that Hill at the property break between the two fields, the East field is a stripper cut. So, uh, instead of a normal week cut, there's a stripper header, which leaves more of the stock. That way mm-hmm. when winds pick up, you don't have the erosion. So mm-hmm. it has some decent cover. Like there's, there's parts of a stripper header that leave it, you know, mid thigh or, or, you know, above the knee. So you got some cover and, and, and you got some cover to work with. Yeah. And, and right on that South fence line where those two fields meet, there's a huge patch of fireweed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the tallest part of it's probably four, four and a half feet tall. And it kind of petered to some, you know, native CRP grass, and it's a it's a good fifteen feet by twenty feet wide patch, mm-hmm. and so my strategy shifted to setting up with that bow mounted decoy on the edge of that grass patch, mm-hmm. and having that three D decoy at three D buck that three D buck, um, and I had him at anywhere from thirteen to ten yards. Yeah, and I would I would kind of move him depending on the night, but he was always facing south looking mm-hmm. at me where all the deer were coming from the north. So when they would hit that field, they would stop and look at him and they kept skirting around me. Mm-hmm. So came back to work, um, worked for two weeks and then we had Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Well, Thanksgiving for Hoyt, we have Thursday and Friday off for the holiday. So I was able to take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off and get nine days to go back to Kansas for Thanksgiving, see family, and try and get this tag filled. Mm-hmm. So we go out there and, again, eight more days, and I see him six out of the eight days. And the closest I can get is 150 yards. Mm-hmm. And between this big grass patch that he's been bedding in at night in the middle of the field, and where I am, there's this, there's a, like a trough that goes down the middle of this cut corn and it's created an erosion ditch. Yeah. And up towards the head of it, it's two feet wide, two feet deep. And as it peters down to the West into the bottom, mm-hmm. it's, you know, 20 inches deep and two feet wide. Mm-hmm. And it is full of corn stalks, just the, the husks and the silks and everything that is shot out yeah. of the back of the, of the combines. Sure. Both trips, the deer showed up on the neighbors coming out of the tree line and they have to cover a hundred to 150 yards of pasture to get to the fence line and jump into the cut corn. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a deer break hardwood cover earlier than 505 mm-hmm. but between 505 and 515 every single deer that was going to hit that cornfield was out of those trees and moving north mm-hmm. so what i decided to do the last night that i was in there is i was going to go into that erosion ditch in the middle of a 240 acre cut cornfield mm-hmm. and i had that 3d body decoy at 17 yards I strapped the bow mounted decoy on and I had a, a bow pod 
on my bow and stuck it up on the high side of that ditch. And you're and down like, in the ditch. And I'm down full in of the ditch. Corn husks. Did you have to like dump all, kick yep. all those corn husks out of there so you didn't yep. make noise and stuff? So, so I took, I took a little screen blind. Yeah. And staked it out in front of me and took all the corn husks right in front of me in the main part of that trough I was going to potentially yeah. be maneuvering in. And I put them up in front of that, that little screen. screen. Blind. Yeah. And then I also pushed everything else out to the sides. So if anything did work around behind me, I had some extra cover on the sides. Sure. Well, on the lower end side, which is on the west side, mm-hmm. I got down. So I had, I had about 10 feet to be able to maneuver. And I got that south or that uh, that west side all taken care of and was comfortable there. Everything else was cleared up. And I turned to go back to my bow. And Prince is standing in my cornrow at 102 yards on the fence line, staring at my 3D by decoy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm standing up. If I get down a little bit and move around, he might just think it's another deer moving up the field. I've got both my decoys out. No problem. Right. And, and the first thing that popped in my head was the first buck you took like this out in Kansas where you were out in the field, saw that second deer and he saw you and you climbed back in. I was like, I crossed my fingers. I got a Danny Ferris situation right here. Godfather says it works. (laughs) And so I, I got down, I snuck over, got my bow he turned 180 degrees and walked back to the tree line. Yeah. But he didn't spook? He, he, he did not spook. Wow. This is at four o'clock. This is a full hour earlier than I have ever seen a deer. But he saw your, your full human upright form. Saw my whole human with upright no, form. no cover, no decoy in front of you. Nope. Yeah. Nope. So I slide back over, wait another hour, and here come the rest of the deer. Um. Had three does hit the field, had a three and a half year old buck come in behind him. And as soon as those does saw the buck 3D decoy, they went up the fence line to the east and got up on the ridge between the fields and just started working around up there. So I grabbed my bow and went up that erosion ditch and got up in front of them. And as soon as I did that, they start moving down towards the 3D decoy. Mm-hmm. and pulling that buck right with him. So I slid in about another 40 yards, and that lead doe comes in, and she's just over 50. I think I ranged her at 53 as I saw antlers coming in behind her on a lower terrace. Came to full draw. He comes in, sees my – Your buck decoy? The butt, no, sees the doe on my bow, so the bow-mounted decoy. Right. And as soon as he does that, he goes from broadside to quartering two. Uh-huh. When he quartered two, those does snapped around, looked at him, saw me. They run back to the fence line to 80 yards and start going all the way back east, paralleling the fence, and he followed them. They, yeah, so the does so, spooked. So the does spooked. Never blew, just moved 40 yards. Yeah. I let down, does cross ahead of me. I range the first one that comes through at 81 yards. I set my sight, saw antlers coming up, came to full draw. He comes through. I tried to stop him. He looked and kept moving. So I let down, and I know I'll get criticized for even drawing 
on an 81 yard opportunity <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, but they go up two terrace channels, which a terrace channel is roughly 30 yards, depending on the slope of the hill and the cuts and all that. And they start going north. And so I literally pivoted 90 degrees. And that first doe is two terrace channels above me. Range her at 63 when she gets perfectly parallel. First doe comes in. Next two come in behind her. I see antlers come to full draw. He steps right there, goes perfectly broadside, and then just freezes. Third did time I've look, drawn on him. Did he look down and see you again? Looked down on, and saw me bow-mounted decoy pointing right at him. Right. And he just stopped perfectly broadside and shot broke super clean, heard the thump, and of course he goes right over that terrace. And because of the angle I was on, because I'm shooting uphill at this point, sure. looking to the east, he disappears immediately. So the first thing I do is stand up with the, with the bow-mounted decoy above me. Don't get any leverage because... I'm short. It doesn't help even standing up. So I go running up that hill enough where I can see to the east into this stripper head cut wheat field. Mm -hmm. And I see two different bucks, the three does he was with and three other ones in the bottom of this little pocket. Mm -hmm. And they're all now looking at me standing in a cut cornfield with a bow mounted decoy staring at him. And they bust, and I managed to see when he was coming in, there was another set of antlers behind him, and it had a little tiny kicker on it. And when, when that buck went to the north and kept looking back, I realized that those two were you know, buddies. And He's dead. And, and the one that I had <laughs> shot wasn't there. Yeah. So I cruised over, just got into the edge of that stripper head wheat, cut and he went 20 yards into there and just dropped so he wow, made it look. 43 yards but i was able to draw on him in the middle of a cut cornfield with yeah. other deer around and him watching me right three times right and and yeah. still get a killer and shot off and still got it yep yeah that's awesome i mean they they he accepted you i mean that's what we talked about you know the, the month before we did all this is, you know, once they've accepted you, you can get away with, with so much. It's, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, how hard was it for you to shoot at that deer when you knew Prince was still around? I know you were running out of time. Um, and Prince, was, I mean, a, a 170 inch nine point, uh, that that's tough. It, it was hard. Um, it was really hard. I had never seen this buck before. So I'd been on that property 17 days at this point. Right. This was the this was the last night before we had to turn around and make the you know 13 hour drive back to Utah. Sure. And I was stressed. Um, I had seen Prince <laughs> again, but I also knew I I didn't get my elk that year. I hadn't shot anything else. I hadn't even filled a doe tag. I had no meat. Yeah. And my goal was to shoot a whitetail buck. Yeah. With a bow mounted decoy on this specific property. Yeah. And um, the shot ended up being 63 yards. Um, and I I could not have been happier with the, the setup combination I shot that year. Because, again, I had a prototype bow. I had a prototype broadhead. I had a prototype arrow. And I was hunting with a prototype method that I had never physically tried 
Right. Right. So, um, dude, I was just, I was ecstatic. Um, yeah. And, and it was, it was last minute. By the time I walked up to him, put my bow on the ground and had a chance to put my hands on the antlers, sun was down and it was no longer legal light. Yeah. That is, that is how close yeah. I took it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. I, it's, it's even off, uh, awesomer. That's word that we all had this huge discussion right before we headed out and we were going to try this stuff. And, um, you know, I didn't end up filling my Iowa tag using that method. I ended up shooting out of a tree stand, but after when I was in Kansas, after Matt had taken his and, um, it was before you came back to Kansas and took yours, Evan, I filled my Kansas tag, uh, doing it. And, um, you know, like Matt was talking about earlier, it doesn't, it doesn't work every single time. Um, over the week that I was in Kansas, I had a big mature eight point that came in and took one look at the setup from, I don't know, uh, probably 80 yards off. And he looked down there and then just returned to what he was doing. And I don't know whether he was on the scent of a hot dough or something like that, but he just kept cruising the straight line that he was cruising when he saw the setup. Um, didn't take any interest in it. I had two different young, but well, the biggest problem I had in Kansas this year was every, that, that big eight point was the only buck that I saw that wasn't badly busted. Mm -hmm. Like, holy smokes, the later that it got, um, you know, I was into the third week of November by this time, I couldn't find a buck that wasn't broken. Did you see that this year, Matt? Yeah, I mean some, but but that buck I shot didn't he didn't he was intact, and, and the other big buck that I was hunting the last time I saw him he was intact. But I mean that's pretty common. It just seems like out out in that part of of Kansas, our our buck to doe ratio is pretty solid, and yeah, they're always busting up by late Holy November. I mean, competition I, is tough. I still think the reason Matt's wasn't busted up is because he has the mass measurement of a. Coke can all the way out to I the tip know, of his tongue. Dude, I know. Nothing yeah. was bull elk wasn't breaking that sucker. I know, but you know, for me, I, dude, I had two different half racks come into the setup um, that gave us really good encounters that were awesome to sit there and watch and film and stuff like that. But they were kind of early in the hunt, and I passed both these deer, even though they were right in my lap. And it, for me, it got down to the last day, just like it did for Evan. Um, the very last day had one more day to make something happen. And I ended up going to a, a, a great big weed patch. And that's all it is, is, is really, it's uh it's in a draw. It's kind of hidden. Uh, it's on a walk in, uh, the weeds are really deep in there. Um, that big 170 that I killed a couple of years ago in Kansas, uh, I killed him from this weed patch, watched him bed down with a doe in there. This weed patch, if it hasn't been molested, messed with, there's always going to be deer bedded in there. Uh, you, there's a very good chance of it anyway. They bed down in those deep weeds. And when I say deep weeds, these weeds are like, I don't know if it's fireweed like you were talking about, Evan. I've heard it called pigweed. Um, fireweed. But it's like, shoot six feet deep, you know, seven feet deep in some places. It is, it's really deep. And then you've got the fringes of it that are, you know, four feet deep or something like that. Well, on that last 
it, midday, the, the last morning, we didn't have anything happen. And midday, I, I told my cameraman who was filming me out there, I said, let's, let's just go up to the edge of that weed patch and I'm going to see if I can't grunt one in. Um, we didn't take 3D decoy with us. We threw a, a bow mounted decoy, stalker decoy on my bow and one on the cameraman. Um, and in that situation, I usually make the, if I've got a cameraman or somebody else with me, I make them the buck because I don't want uh, the, the deer's attention on me usually. And usually if they come in there and see two deer, one of them's a buck, one's a doe, they're going to concentrate on the buck. Um, so I had a doe decoy on my bow and we sneak up to the edge of all those deep weeds and I just knelt down and started grunting. And maybe did, you know, half dozen grunts, waited for five minutes right there and then moved 20 yards around the edge of those weeds and did it again. And on about the third setup like that, I hear a snap in front of me after like two grunts. And I mean, this snap is right in front of me. And I look up, kind of look around the side of my decoy and I see a big set of tines that are coming right at me. And I'm talking like 10 yards in front of me. Um, as he gets at, at 10 yards, I can't see his, his body. All I can see is his head. And as he turns his head, I see that he's another, he's a half rack. I cannot tell you how many half racks I had had opportunities at this week. Well, this is the last afternoon and he's 10 yards ahead of me. I can't, the only problem is I can't see his body and he is stepping toward me. He sees me. He sees my decoy. He sees my cameraman behind and he is walking right at me through these deep weeds. Well, I'm on my knee and as he's closing, you know, somewhere between 10 and six yards, I stand up and now I can see his chest and that deer stops at six yards and kind of does the, the head straight up in the air where they raise their head real quickly. Like, okay, something he saw, didn't make sense to him, but he's six yards in front of me and I can see his entire chest. Now he's fully frontal. He's not broadside, but he's only six yards. And I drew back with him looking directly at me like that and put my pin right in the middle of his chest, right in that volleyball size hole on that full frontal shot. Six yards, he doesn't have a chance to move. And I sunk it on him sunken on him right there and he ran 40 yards outside of that weed patch and died i've never that's the closest i've ever shot a whitetail in my life you know um and it was on a complete wing and a prayer just going to the edge of this stuff and hoping to grunt something out of there and lo and behold there was there was a buck bedded down in there and i don't mean to make it sound I had somebody on social media come after me and say, so, you know, because you mentioned that he's a half rack, does that mean that you, you know, you shot a deer that you're not happy with? You should be happy with any deer. I was happy with him. This is a last day deer and a last ditch effort, you know, that, that worked out. It was a total Hail Mary. Um, do I wish he had his other side? Of course I wish he had his other side. Um, but regardless, I was tickled to death to be taking him home with me and getting that last tag punched. Um, I, I've told people lots of times, if you're one of those people that say that never shoot, never pass something on day one that you would shoot on the last day, I think you're crazy mm -hmm. because it, there's lots of times where on 
on day one that I'll go ahead and pass something up just based upon what I'm seeing and then have five days that just don't go near as well as day one. And at the end of that hunt, I'm tickled to death to see that buck again. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if your opinion is the same or not, Matt, but um, 100%. Yeah, uh, it's all relative. You know, if you come in there and for the first five days of your hunt, you see nothing and then you have an opportunity on day six, you're going to your expectations are going to be a whole lot lower than they were going in on day one. Well, well, here's my deal with with that is that I like killing big stuff. But at the end of the day, I like having success, filling my tag, filling my freezer. And it, it, you know, I'm just as jacked with what I kill on the last day, even if it's smaller than something I passed on day one. Yeah. Knowing that I got to hunt however many days for, for a giant, you know? And so I've never subscribed to that, but you know, to each their own. And and if, if you live that life, that's, that's great. You know, shoot on day one, what you want to, what, yeah, what you shoot on, on the last day, yeah. but you just won't hunt as many days because you'll shoot anything on day one. <laughs> yeah. yep. And that's, that's, that's truly something I enjoyed so much more this year was I got, I got to log 17 days. Yeah. And, and again, I was targeting a specific deer, but what I learned about the property, how the deer traveled, what the food sources were like and how they were utilized in that property. That's only yeah. going to help me so much more later on. You know, the yeah. last four years that I've hunted combined, I haven't hunted for two hours. Yeah. So I'll take the 17 days and I didn't get the buck I was after. I'm super happy with the buck I got and how it turned out and the fact that my freezer is full. Yeah. Like I said, the coolest part to me about all of this is that we had this discussion right before we headed out and all of us ended up punching all of our tags and having really cool encounters if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that podcast, uh, you, you know, I hope that you did before you listen to this one, because otherwise this one doesn't make near as much sense. Um, but uh, do go back and listen to that podcast again or, or listen to it for, to the first, for the first time if you haven't. And then all of this will make a whole lot more sense to you. But w- what were you going to say, Matt? Yeah, I just wanted to, to kind of close here a little bit with – you know, we really are, we, we all did it with the bow mounted decoy, but all different styles to some extent, a little bit, you know, we, we use a lot of the same styles, but ultimately we killed three different ways. And, you know, the other thing is we, we're really focusing on Western Kansas because that's where Evan grew up and that's where I've been living and, and Danny's in Eastern Colorado and Western Kansas. But quite frankly, you know, your Iowa hunt, even though, I don't even want to bring it up again because it's going to make your stomach hurt. But, you know, it, it proves that these, this tactics work everywhere. And what I'm finding myself doing is I'm seeing opportunities everywhere I look. Like, you know, I moved four hours east and I'm already jacked to use the the decoys and all, you know, multiple decoys, whether it's just the bow mounted decoys or the 3D combo like I had success with this year. And it's just, it's a whole new way of hunting. And I, I think people are missing the boat. Like it's really easy to dismiss and, and I get it. It's hard to wrap your mind around until you experience it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, I don't, don't need to go on on that subject cause we covered it well in that first podcast, but yeah, I, I really do. I don't want you guys thinking that this is only a Western Kansas or Eastern no. Colorado. Yeah tactic it's, because it's not no matter no. where you're at. It's a, it's a tool that you should have in your toolbox. 
for yeah. sure. Don't rule something out just because eh, they're doing it out here. That's not applicable to where I'm at. Well, what you your experience, Evan, and and setting up in the middle of a cut cornfield, man, where can't that be used? You know what I mean? How many times have you have you seen anything, regardless of where you're hunting whitetails? Have you watched a buck chasing a doe out in the middle of the field or day after day watching them go out in the, and feed in the middle of this field and thought to yourself, man, there's no way that you know, I'm going to sit here in my tree stand and wait and hope to God that one of those things comes by me one day. Well, this is a method that allows you to get out there and try something a little bit different. And it's it's worked for me in multiple states. Um, it, I just kind of the reason that I got started on it was because I needed to find a way to do it in that stuff where there were no trees available. You know what I mean? In that and, wide you know, open and, stuff that we're talking about. You know, and, and, you know, Matt and I's introduction to, you know, bowman decoys in general was turkey hunting because the turkeys we were hunting were doing the same thing. They're out in the middle of a, you know, wheat field in, in the early yeah. spring or, or something like that. It's like, I really don't want to take a blind out there and, and do the whole setup and I want to be yeah. more mobile and, Hey, this is a way to do it. So yeah. whether you're hunting antelope, whitetail, mule deer, turkeys, it doesn't matter. If you've got animals that you are trying to hunt that guess what? They're smart. They're going to go out where they can see because it's yeah. a defense mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Grab a bow mounted decoy right. and go play their game. Well, it's time for us. So I could go on about this forever, but it's time for us to probably get off of here. Um, Congratulations to both of you. Congratulations, especially to you, Matt, on your biggest buck that you've ever taken. Absolutely. Um, Holy cow. It, Thanks, it, Thanks, guys. It, it makes it hurt even a little bit more uh, for me now that we're having this follow-up podcast and I get to sit here and say that, yeah, Matt Palmquist used my method to kill his biggest buck ever, and I used it to scare the crap out of my biggest buck ever. <laughs> you'll redeem yourself next year i have faith hey buddy that one's gonna regardless of what happens that one is going to hurt for a long time and uh uh, i'm sure i know all too well yeah oh i i I might have a hard time getting over that one but great job guys and uh um we as for everybody else thanks for listening and uh we will catch you on the next podcast later boys (laughs) 